welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are, almost halfway, over halfway, through August. In the world of wrestling, there's been a few big stories in the last, uh, a little over a week since we last got together. What do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? Well, I have some very sad news. We lost Kamala, who was a great, just a great gimmick, a great entertainer, and a man who lived by kayfabe 1,000%. Uh, I think I've shown you some of his even most recent videos where he's uh, pulling out a shotgun from out of under the covers and stuff. Uh, just Kamala was a great guy. And uh, one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, so Kamala, his real name, James Harris. He was billed at six foot seven, three hundred and eighty pounds. He was born in Mississippi. He was a sharecropper and a truck driver and then got into pro wrestling as the Ugandan giant, as he was known in world class championship wrestling and some of the other territories and then was of course, mainstreamed in the WWF as Kamala, and he passed away at the age of 70 due to COVID-related symptoms, although he had been suffering from uh, diabetes for many, many years and had lost both of his legs, so was in poor health. He had, if he was one to be considered with underlying conditions, that's true, not to mention whatever he uh, experienced from injuries in the ring from over the years his gimmick is very memorable one that is not going to play well in 2020 you're not going to be able to bring in a uh, guy from mississippi and brand him as a savage in quotation marks but he never had a problem with it and uh back when before it was politically incorrect i mean he got many many years out of this gimmick he was of course accompanied by Kim Chi and uh, Harvey Whippleman uh, in the WWF. Um, He was a lot of times um, mainly a jobber to the stars. He was a a big guy, a guy that looks impressive for guys to beat. I believe when we watched Smack'em Whack'em, he gets a title match against Bret Hart. Unfortunately, um, he was booked as to not knowing how to pin anybody. So... Uh, that's going to hurt your win-loss record quite a bit. And also, he was very limited uh, in the WWF. Now, I haven't seen a lot of his world-class stuff and stuff before that, but he was mainly into chops and stomps and splashes. As Kamala, he was never really allowed to speak. He spoke in grunts, and uh, so that's why he had kimchi and people speak for him. In reality, he was a ninth-grade dropout from the Jim Crow South who made ends meet by picking cotton. Yes, he actually picked cottons, drove trucks, and even, as he said, committed petty crimes. This is all from the Washington Post. When he was 25, he moved to Michigan, where he started a family, and he actually got into wrestling as a last resort when he couldn't find a job. He first wrestled under the name Sugar Bear Harris and the Mississippi Mauler, and then he ran into Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler, who was the promoter of the CWA in 1982. Lawler said, hey, do this Ugandan giant gimmick, 
And uh, it's actually a parody of an old Ugandan dictator. And he filmed a commercial with Kamala. Lawler asked Kamala, are you going to be ashamed to do this gimmick? And uh, he said, no, I'm not ashamed to do stuff like that. And uh, that's when he was asked in 2006 about it. His career highlights, of course, uh, main event matches against Hogan in 86. Unfortunately, uh, and this goes with a lot of the African-Americans in the 80s in the WWF and uh, other territories, WCW, everywhere. He was vastly, vastly underpaid for his contribution. Did go to WCW, where he would join the Dungeon of Doom, uh, but then... Uh, bail out on them and then kind of float around for a while until eventually coming back for x7 for that gimmick battle royal and then he did a few cameos after that even in 2006 he's in a flashback on this raw from that we reviewed this week uh from wrestlemania x7 i was gonna say he's on this raw that we we watched but the, the the raw that we reviewed this week is just full of flashbacks to everything like very nostalgia heavy uh, but yeah, he passed away at the age of 70 years old, which is obviously not for for most people, not very old. But for a pro wrestler, 70 is a pretty impressive age to get to, especially considering his uh, health conditions. So a sad loss, but he uh, he is definitely a memorable character, as I explained to you. I really couldn't you know, sit here and tell you that, oh, I just, you know, what's my favorite Kamala match? <laughs> because they were all pretty much the same, Patrick. But uh, from what I've seen, I like I said, I haven't watched his CWA or, or world class or stuff when he was in his prime in quotation marks. But uh, just the stuff that I've seen, I, you know, it's usually the piss break match. I, I hate to put it that way, but he is a memorable character. And uh, uh, is definitely someone that'll be missed. He he stood out. That's that's the thing about all those '80s WWF guys, as opposed to today. Is when you look at each of them, you instantly recognize them because they all look so distinct. They're all cartoon characters. And now, uh, what do we have today? We have people with goatees, black hair, slicked back, and you know Elias doesn't look that much different from Seth Rollins or Drew McIntyre or Roman Reigns they all basically look the same uh that's something that Kamala unfortunately uh guys of today will ne- never be able to match the kind of characters that they had in the 80s and so i think that's what Kamala will, will be most uh missed for all right i was a big fan of Kamala's i uh had watched his multiple shoot interviews that I own uh, just a really cool fan of Kamala's and a man that actually had a long standing uh, marriage, <laughs> if you want to call it, which is how he called it rivalry with Andre the giant back in the territory days and traveled from town to town doing cage matches with Andre. And that was way before, you know, it's the early 80s. It got to a point that it was not known that Andre and him just did not get along. Andre didn't like him at all. And so at which point in time, Andre snapped on him one night and uh, started going at him uh, and laying him in, being very just shooting on him, basically. And Kamala said he ended up escaping by crawling out out of the cage just in fear of his life at which point in time here it is he was still 
set to keep going forward from town to town doing this run with Andre. And, you know, he's not going to cancel out on getting paid and cancel out on these bookings. So he went and he sewed a little pocket on the inside of his tights that he wore under his little leopard skin, whatever. And he had a stub nose 38 pistol that was basically more or less in there to protect him if Andre snapped on him again. And he has told that multiple times uh, from him, uh, which is crazy to think that he wrestled with a 38 pistol revolver loaded inside of his tights for safety purposes from Andre the Giant. Uh, but that was just something that's very unique. Uh, I highly recommend going back and checking that out. I thought that was one of the most unbelievable stories I've ever heard from on, you know, one of the, like an Andre story. I thought that was very, just blew me away. I wanted to take a step back and I don't open the door to personal Patrick that often, but I'm going to go ahead and do so. Um, the very first, I don't know if it was actually my very first wrestling event that I went to, uh, but I was young. Uh, it's the only, it's the first one I can remember and I barely remember much about it. Uh, we're talking young, like maybe three and four. My dad took me to Rossville Boulevard, uh, and Alex knows exactly where that's at, uh, here in Chattanooga. Uh, it's a really Bull- nice part of town. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. Rossville Boulevard had the Rossville Armory there, which has now been bulldozed and is completely gone, and I believe it's some soccer fields. It was just this really small stone armory. And a little independent wrestling show was running there. I didn't know anybody there. Nothing like that. And the main event had this giant of a man who comes out. I was terrified. I was literally terrified. And I cried uncontrollably as a young kid. And I just remember my dad just kind of laughing and uh, being like, it's all right. You know, it's okay. The guy walked over to me, reached down, and grabbed me by the wrist, and literally picked me up. Now, like I said, I was three and four. Uh, One hand, by my wrist, completely lifted me up to where I was eye to eye with him, and goes, don't worry, it's okay. Set me down, got in the ring, did his thing, got the win, went to the back. And afterwards... I was told to hang around, and he came out and gave me a hug. And there's a Polaroid somewhere uh, at my mother's house, and it was Kamala. And that was the very first wrestling event that I can remember ever being a part of uh, as a fan. And so that's a, it's something that is very uh, sentimental, something that I haven't even shared with you. I don't, you know, I've never really told you that story either, but that was the first, the very first exposure, I guess, in person for, uh, for me. And I thought, you know, wow. And I guess that was a wow, you know, kind of moment. Like I, I, this, you know, I love this. This is entertaining. This is unique. This is, you know, I was terrified of this dude, but he stopped and like, calm me down and make sure you know hey it's all right 
you know, literally just walked over in his somewhat of a uh, graspy voice and lift me up and just, hey, you know, don't worry. It's okay. It's all he said. And I stopped crying. And I wasn't afraid anymore. But that, that was Kamala. And that's what turned me on to, uh, I think, to the character. Uh, just having that one-on-one moment. Something really, really cool. And something that I hold near and dear to my heart. Because it was my father. It was me and my dad. And it's just one of those moments. You know, as me and my dad. And like I said, I was maybe three, four. You know, I don't ever remember... You know, I'm sure I went to to more wrestling shows even before then. I mean, but uh, that's the first one that I remember, and uh, it was just really cool. And it was just it was really really cool. And like I said, there's a little disposable camera Polaroid uh, somewhere around the uh, my mother's house of me and Kamala and Kim Chi and my dad. It's just a really cool moment. And like I said, from that moment on, that character was just something that I really, uh, really stuck out to me. Something that was really cool. You think back, you know, every single wrestling fan to some degree has that one, you know, unique person that just stood out to them. And there's a specific reason why, you know, or whatever. You know, it could be a kid going to a independent wrestling show and seeing uh, Eugene or a kid going to an independent wrestling show and seeing Doink the Clown, you know, before Matt, Matt died. Um, just anything like that. Just a unique, it, uh, I mean, everybody, you know, yeah, you, you see wrestling on, you know, on TV and it's like, Oh, or you may go to a live event and Oh, to a little indie show, you know, that paid to bring in one or two big names to that show. And, uh, you meet them, you get that, you get that, that one-on-one just second with them or whatever, you know, especially as a kid, that's something that stands out. I mean, that is, every fan has a story that, that one for me was, uh, was Kamala. So yeah, no, it was, it was very, it's sad. You know, I, I've had quite a few of those moments. Um, but like I said, the very first one, the one that I can, I can remember, and I can't remember much about that show. I literally just remember the event. I remember the match, that moment, and uh, just sitting ringside. And, I mean, there wasn't even a guardrail. There was a rope. And so that's how independent show this was. There was a rope. Because if you go back and you watch his stuff in World Class, you watch his stuff out of Memphis, you watch... It's pretty cool, man. It's it's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, he'll greatly be missed. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, he was part, well, I say unfortunately, but he was part of the CTE lawsuit against the WWE, which got dismissed. And uh, like everyone else involved in that lawsuit, you pretty much get blacklisted from ever being in the WWE Hall of Fame. So I don't think that honor is ever going to come his way. And that's not to say, look, uh, as far as what he did, I mean, there, the standards are so low. That I'm not going to sit here and say that he's not worthy of the Hall of Fame because of his in-ring work, because there are far lesser uh, people in the Hall of Fame. But it's pretty shitty that he won't 
be in there because of being involved in that lawsuit. So uh, kind of shitty uh, end uh, to and a really tough time he had uh, in the in the late 2000s, late 2000s, in the uh, in the teens, rather, when he had his legs amputated and then he had to do uh, Kickstarters or GoFundMes to help help him out. He was selling homemade wooden chairs. I mean, he almost died in 2017. Um, he's a guy that just goes to show you that these wrestlers need long-term health care. This independent contractor status is just silly unless uh, they're going to come through and give them with some sort of health care benefits at the end of the day because uh, a guy like Kamala could have really used it. I mean, the reason that he might have contracted the coronavirus is by going to dialysis. And had he been privileged enough, I mean, there are some people that get dialysis done at their homes. and uh, But he went to a clinic and contracted it. And people just need better health care in general. But it's just upsetting that another pro wrestler dies at, you know, any other profession, any other lifestyle, 70 years old is... Not very old in 2020, and but in pro wrestling, he he was an elder statesman. So, um, I just think uh, it just highlights further need for that discussion and and that reminder that these guys, once they're done, there's 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 no help for them, and it's yeah. really sad. He just like you said, he's one of the ones that is in a long line of sad stories that really could use that for getting better or being able to to live a prosperous life to some degree i mean well it's I'm messed not... up that the that the company will send you to drug rehab or alcohol that's rehab just... but they won't pay for any health care for you that's what i was about to say we'll we'll send you you know nothing against you know canellis whatsoever okay nothing against Watman, you know but marty Janetti. We'll... <laughs> uh we'll send these guys to to rehab but yet there's guys like kamala or guys like one man gang's a good example you know who lost his his house in the flood you know and he had to do gofundme pages and things like that and he wasn't even he was just trying to buy you know a little one bedroom house or something just or have that built just so he can try to have you know shelter again because he lost everything and um just guys like that, that I think they need just as much help as Waltman or Canellis or any of those that, you know, we'll, we'll send you to drug rehab. But yet this guy over here, he's he's suffering due to due to health or he's suffering due to diabetes or he's suffering due to, you know, c- concussion memory loss or he's, you know, how many how many injuries does guys like McFoley have guys like Terry Funk have they haven't been been given a shout out of hey you know I'll pay for that don't worry about it you just worry about getting better because I want to thank you for all that you've done and uh, just things like that very sad and so we go from a wrestler who passed away to a wrestler that claims you cannot kill him we go to David Arquette who is uh, releasing 
a South by Southwest selected documentary called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Documentary synopsis, branded as the most hated man in wrestling after winning a highly controversial WCW World Heavyweight Championship match in 2000, actor David Arquette attempts a rocky return to the sport that stalled his promising Hollywood career, dangerously determined to redeem his reputation and reclaim his self-respect. Arquette will stop at nothing to earn his place in pro wrestling history, I guess. So, uh, this will debut on uh, digital platforms on August 28th. So, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably almost out. And uh, it's premiering before that at a few drive-ins, I think a week before. So, uh yeah, August 21st, so uh, some drive-in somewhere is going to be showing this. Well, you need to go to a drive-in, man. I want to see this at a drive-in. Yeah, I'm not sure that's happening around here, but it features interviews with Patricia and Rosanna Arquette, I mean David Arquette from a big acting family. It also uh, includes an interview with Courtney Cox, his ex-wife, who he's still friends with and, and works with on several projects. Pro wrestler Ric Flair, I saw DDP in it. I'll include the trailer in this podcast so you can listen for yourself. But uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, it, it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, he had, I mean, the, the highlight of it is going to be that death match he had where he uh, learned his lesson about death matches and why you don't do them. And uh, spent quite a few days in the uh, hospital. Yes, he lost a lot of blood. I think he made it out in time for WrestleMania or something, if I remember. Or whatever pay-per-view they were running. Because he was in the crowd uh, at the next WWE event, I think. Um, but he... Uh, it's one of those documentaries that's, like, sort of true. There's an element of truth to it, but there's not. It's it's something he, he did for fun. He did it. He returned to wrestling, I'm sure, with the intent of making this movie. Legends of Wrestling, one of the biggest events of the year. 10,000 fans in attendance as Ken Anderson takes on David Arquette. David Arquette is the wrestler, sucks. I don't give a shit about David Arquette. It's the biggest disgrace in professional wrestling history. David Arquette, what's going on here? An untrained Hollywood actor wins most prestigious championship. His involvement in wrestling really hurt his career. Ten years of rejection, that's crazy. I want to clear my name and, through the process, honor wrestling. This ain't the movies. We don't have stunt doubles. I'd like to announce my return to professional wrestling. Can I wrestle again? What are your thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> That's my boy. Why do you want to get back in the ring? It's been 18 years of people thinking I disrespected wrestling. I'm just kind of sick of being a joke. There's a lot going on with David. His anxiety is crippling. Two years ago, it's a heart attack. A year later, it's a death match. So what does that mean for next year? The ribs actually break, they can actually bleed into your lung. Wrestling's not fake, guys. Wrestling's not fake. Wrestling's not fake! 
You are godlike. You are the man. He, you know, one of the claims in it that I thought was kind of silly is that it, that it hurt his career. I mean, that's just that's just not true at all as far as his acting career. I mean, outside of the Scream franchise, sure, he did Ready to Rumble, but that doesn't mean that because you're in one bad movie that you're just blacklisted. He wasn't blacklisted from Hollywood at all. He went on to be an executive producer on Cougar Town. He did a lot of other TV projects. He picks and chooses when he wants to work because he's a wealthy guy from a wealthy family who married a wealthy woman and divorced her and then married someone else. But uh, he doesn't have to work and he can pick and choose the projects that he does. So uh, the, the claim that his career was ruined is silly. And then the claim that wrestling fans somewhat that there's some i i've never run into a wrestling fan that actually hates david arquette for winning the wcw title i'm being serious about that i never see any takes on twitter or facebook or anything where people shit on david arquette for winning the wcw title they shit on wcw for making that decision but in the terms of wcw bad decision making uh, and we've discussed this when we watched the Thunder, where he won the title. This was not, this was not the worst thing they ever did. This isn't the worst thing that ever happened in WCW, and by far, it's not even close to the worst thing that ever happened in wrestling. No, and I, I praise it. We've had that discussion. I praise it. I think it was brilliant upon WCW's part. Um, I think it was extremely. Shocking reality TV, you know, style. <laughs> and it wasn't even reality TV, but it just gave that oh shit moment. Uh, but I mean, no, David Arquette, he did what, like 3,000 miles to Graceland. I think he was filming that movie when he won the world title. I think uh, that was, I think Courtney was filming that. I don't know if he's in that or not. He is in that. Yes. Oh, he is? Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I love David Arquette even before Ready to Rumble, especially after. Uh, I, you know, I think it's great. I'm looking forward to this. I want to go and see it. I think it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, well, when it comes out on the 28th, maybe I I will watch it and uh, we can do a, a review on it or put it in our podcast as a mini review about it. Um, so we'll see. I mean. Uh, I didn't know the the trailer didn't have the release date on it, so I'm glad that it's coming out pretty soon because I, I did want to see it. But like I said, 
I have to, much like pro wrestling, uh, some of it's a work. Some of it is uh, made for, uh, you know, made for movie documentary. It's it's not reality. So moving on, uh, the WWE is moving out of the Performance Center. Yes, this past Monday, we're recording this on August 18th. August 17th was the final Raw from the Performance Center. They have moved out. They are taking their show on the road. And when I say on the road, I mean across the street in Orlando to the Amway Center, where you and I have been, because that's where the Hall of Fame was for WrestleMania 33, and I assume for other WrestleManias that they've had in Orlando. Um, So the Amway Center where the Magic play basketball, I believe. That's that's their arena. Uh, Well, since it's not doing anything, the WWE struck a deal with them, and I'm sure they got, since the Amway Center is, the the title sponsor is, Amway is the DeVos family, and Betsy DeVos is in the Trump administration, and I'm sure they might have gotten a slightly discounted rate to move into the thund- the Thunderdome. <laughs> Excuse me. They, it's, it's the Amway Center, but they are transforming it into the WWE Thunderdome. And this Friday on Fox will be the premiere of the Thunderdome. And uh, this is the statement put out by the company. WWE has a long history of producing the greatest live spectacles in sports and entertainment, yet nothing compares to what we're creating with the Thunderdome. This structure will enable us to deliver an immersive atmosphere and generate more excitement amongst the millions of fans watching around the world. So we will bring in fans virtually into the arena on massive LED boards, and then we'll have pyrotechnics, and then we'll have drones flying throughout. So lasers, cutting-edge graphics. So this is going to be something. Now, unfortunately... Uh, bets. Are we taking bets on whether this is going to suck or not? I give it two weeks before people are like, ah, you know what, this... This this stinks. This is nothing. And all these things he's talking about, pyro and graphics, they have really good pyro and graphics when they're on the road, so that's nothing new. Having a drone camera, you and I have talked before about why don't you have an overhead camera shot? You could do that without a drone. You don't have to fly a drone. You can hang a camera over the ring. Yes. Vince hates overhead camera shots for some reason, but I guess he's decided to 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 let go of that and as far as the led boards with fans i i don't give a shit about that and if you've seen like even a highlight from the nba bubble the playoff bubble down in orlando which is also in orlando it's strange everything is happening in orlando it's the only place to go apparently but over at disney world where the nba bubble is they have a, a similar thing around the basketball court, and they have fans in the in the LED boards, and it kind of sucks, honestly. It just doesn't really add anything. It's almost a little bit distracting. Um, and the thing that I don't understand about this is that they were running the Performance Center at a cost of zero dollars. Uh, the Amway Center, even with a discount, even if they got in some some sweet deal. It still costs them money to run this and to shoot pyro and do all that other stuff. 
why would you do that? Because this year was going to be the most profitable on record because of their TV rights deals. And until you can have fans in the arena, which is why I think they moved to the Amway Center, is that so when um, when people are allowed back in, they can't socially distance them in the performance center, you know, and have a decent looking crowd. So I imagine this is what we've talked about before. This is their version of WCW Disney World. This is going to be a long term stand. I mean, they're going to do SummerSlam here. They're going to be here for a while. And I'm sure it's their hopes that they can have fans in there and they don't have to worry about giving the arena up for a while because basketball is not going to be back for a while. So, yeah, I think this is that's their long term goal here. But until you get the green light to have fans in, which if if that's if that was the case, if, if the governor or whoever said you can have fans in, I would move in there as soon as possible. But to do this Thunderdome thing, I don't think it adds anything more than what the Performance Center offers. So I just think it's kind of stupid. And also, uh, this means NXT is moving back to full sale. So their show is going to look kind of weird, too, uh, moving out of the PC because everything was coming from the PC. Uh, but they're going back to full sale. So, yeah, and they're taking that. They're doing their takeover in full sale. So NXT has been sent back to full sale for the foreseeable future. But uh, yeah, that's that's the latest from the uh, WWE production team, uh, the Thunderdome, which sounds like Dusty Rhodes came up with the idea for them. The Thunderdome, look it up, is an old WCW match. I think they did two of them. And they are extremely entertaining gimmick matches. I enjoy the hell out of them. Uh, well, the Mad Max it- movie originally. <laughs> Well, exactly, and it's a spinoff of a Mad Max. It's there. You just have to you have to see it. It's hard to explain. It's a it's a cage match, but it's Mad Max mixed with wrestling. Uh, that's the best well, way. I put it. We reviewed one of them, and that was the one where it caught on fire, and the great Muda went and took his spit and his paint and tried to put out the fire, and it was a complete train wreck. So. <laughs> On paper, it sounds really cool, but uh, and that and that's what we always give WCW credit for is they try these wacky things. They say, "Okay, Thunderdome match, fucking do it. Let's go for it." David Arquette, WCW, just fucking do it. You know, they never turned down anything crazy. They they always took a chance, and it would burn them figuratively and literally sometimes. So uh, that's what their version of Thunderdome was, but. Uh, so if you're interested in Thunderdome, you can watch WWE programming for the foreseeable future and see how they take advantage of a giant, mostly empty arena. So uh, I'm just I'm curious as to how this looks. And and then, again, this is an attempt. They they are taking the wrong approach because I'm sure this is an attempt to pop the rating and, and get the ratings up on, especially on Raw. Uh, even though SmackDown's not doing much better. But this is, instead of addressing storylines and characters and building stars, ah, let's change the set. Let's shoot some fireworks off. Instead of, hey, let's make somebody stand out. Let's do something different. 
Now we move on to a story that ties in well with our review this week. It involves crime as a longtime stalker with an obsession for WWE star Sonya Deville broke into her Florida home this past Sunday in a failed attempt to take her as a hostage. Philip Thomas II, so Philip Jr. here, uh, of South Carolina, traveled hundreds of miles. He looked up her information and found out where she lives in Tampa uh, to commit a crime that he had apparently been planning for eight months. He's 24 years old. He parked his car at a nearby church late Saturday night, went to her property, cut a hole in her patio. Yeah, like a, I thought he was in the patio. And he stayed there for three to four hours Saturday night, watching and listening through the windows. The professional wrestler, whose real name is Daria Baronado, went to bed just before 3 a.m. with a guest. I guess this is her girlfriend or friend. I, I don't know. Uh, they went to bed around 3 in the morning, and then he said, time to make the move. So Thomas tries to enter the house through and does through the back sliding glass door, which unfortunately for him and fortunately for Sonia Deville set off the alarm. So that's when she looked out the window and said, oh, my goodness, there's a man on my property. Her and the guest fled in a car, called 911, and the guy was arrested. So uh, he was found with duct tape, plastic zip ties and other items. And Mace. So uh, he had some big plans. And, well, uh, I don't believe she's truly from the South. But if you break into my house, you're not getting to answer to the police or the law. Your ass is getting shot. Just FYI, that's where I stand on the matter. Well, at the same time, I mean, if, if you've got a chance to get away, then just get away. I mean, <laughs> there's no... There's no reason to kill somebody just because, I mean, if he had made it up to a room, then all, by all means, like, I just, I have a different opinion of the matter. Like, if you're, if I just see some dude out in my yard, I, I'm just going to walk away and call the cops and let them well, handle yeah, it. I'm talking about if you break into my house, like you're in my house, you're in my house to obviously do harm. I understand that, but okay, so I go downstairs with a gun. What if he has a gun? And what if he's a better shot than me? <laughs> now I'm dead. You better be uh, or, or, or I'm hostage. And in her case, it was clearly to, to you know, kidnap her and do whatever with. I don't think she'd really be interested in that, but uh, I don't... I, I, it's. I don't think anyone would be interested in being sexually assaulted, but it was clearly a kidnapping attempt. I don't think anyone's trying to kidnap me, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, tons of wrestlers live in Tampa. But as I was that telling is- you before we uh, went on the air, uh, you know, this comes down to, again, uh, as we went into the case with uh, the Japanese wrestler who uh, killed herself a few months ago, social media. And this was a a stalker that she was aware of and that uh, had she had probably blocked him, probably reported him to Twitter and probably the police might have been aware of it. I'm not sure. It doesn't say that in any of the stories that I read, but it's like what I mean. You're, the cops in, in Tampa aren't going to do much about that because this is just a Twitter account that's tweeting at you all the time. What are they going to do? It's They don't have the authority. To, I mean, they're not going to drive from Tampa 
to South Carolina to look for this guy, even if they knew that's where he was. And at some point, it just falls on social media companies like Twitter to see that this guy keeps making disturbing tweets at this female superstar or this male superstar, whoever, and we need to give up their IP address. We need to tell the authorities this person is probably mentally unstable uh, and is definitely potentially going to commit violent acts and you can send a cop you can send the cops over there and maybe he checks out maybe he gets away but at least something was done at least some action was taken or suspend his account put it you know put an end to it i just think it's wrong and at some point the blood is on these social media companies hands where um i mean i've run into it myself not with people that are abusing me but people that had been abusing those that were close to me. And I've reported them to so the social media companies and nothing was done. And they are just allowed to do whatever and just continue. I had a, a friend of mine, a guy on Twitter was saying, drove by your house last night, saw your security cameras. Don't worry. I killed during the day or something like that. Something to that effect. I reported that. To, I reported that to Twitter Twitter didn't do anything about it. Nothing. He's still allowed to post to this day. That's ridiculous. That is a direct threat. Or there was another post from him about, uh, like, I'm watching your house or something crazy like that. And I, I mean, I called my friend and said, look, I think this guy's going to come kill you. And, but there's nothing that the cops could do either because, for all they know, it's not even that real person on the other end of the, the tweet. But then Twitter, they just let it go. I, and this is how people get killed and kidnapped, is in action. Yeah, and I mean, every once in a while, the abuse continues to this day. And it's uh, like, I, I never felt in danger, even though, even though this person knows me, too. Uh, but there was a time after those tweets when I was like looking at cars driving around my neighborhood, like, is he coming after me to fuck me up too? Like, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, is there's just something needs to be done when, when you have direct threats or or indirect threats, that's when it's time for social media companies to act and for them to say, Oh, well, we just have. You know, we have 3 billion users. We can't really focus on that. Well, yeah, you should. Or you shouldn't be allowed to operate. If I had a club full of gangsters and criminals that came in, and sure, there's uh, 100 regular people, but 30 of them are all involved in organized crime. When the cops come in, I have to, you know, they're going to arrest me. They're going to, they're going to, I'm responsible for the people that are the crime that is going on in my place. If I have uh, gambling machines in the back that I'm not supposed to have or uh, whatever's going on, I'm going to be taken in. And then these social media companies, they, they just keep on trucking along, making billions of dollars while people get hurt and people kill themselves and people get kidnapped or attempted to be kidnapped. And, I just think, I mean, when does it end? It, I guess it ends, honestly, I hate to put it like this, it ends when one of them is the affected person. 
Like if yeah. Mark if Mark Zuckerberg ever actually was in danger or was assaulted or whatever. I mean, he's got bodyguards and all these people watching his place. Like but that's what it's going to take, unfortunately. I hate to put it like that, but it, it's the same way. It's it's like what we talk about with like Over the Edge 99 where if that had been Shane McMahon falling to his death, do you think that pay-per-view is going on? No. It takes the person in charge to be affected to change the outcome. So uh, just a really disturbing story. And that blends well into why we picked this week. It was your pick, Patrick, and you picked... Hang on. This- I have a very cool, unique piece of information. <laughs> I, I do. Hang on. Bear with me. Bear with me. So tonight, today, tonight marks the 50th anniversary of Jerry the King Lawler's very first match. You heard that is me something. Go- he hasn't evolved at all from that very first match. He has a right hand and a pile driver, and I bet that first match he had a right hand and a pile driver. It was, I had, I saw him tweet it, and so I thought, no way. And so I went and looked it up. And sure enough, I have it on my Twitter. And he says, the picture was took 50 years ago today, right before my very first match in Memphis at the old Ellis Auditorium. Mac York was my opponent. And there is then a clipping underneath of it being in the newspaper by a markjamesbook.com. And it shows the date and everything. So, yes, today marks the 50th anniversary of Jerry the King Lawler's very first match. That deserves a huge, huge congratulations. To the king. Yeah, congratulations. And he also ties in well with a criminal, uh, criminal behavior who he's been accused uh, a couple of times, um, more than once, of a few uh, criminal acts with some underage ladies and then with domestic assault with his, uh, I don't know if they're still together, but that girlfriend a couple of years ago. Uh, so, yeah, Jerry and Jerry Lawler blends in well with why you picked this episode, and that's for the criminal acts of Marty Jannetty. <laughs> I did, yes. Uh, yeah. Which uh, I highly suggest any of our listeners check out the episode on Marty Jannetty by a podcast called Crime and Sports. Crime and Sports has the complete history of Marty Jannetty's many, 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 many run-ins with the law. Most of them... Uh, pretty much self-inflicted. He's a guy like Scott Hall, where, well, I mean, Scott Hall did kill a guy, but, uh, well, maybe Marty did too. We don't know yet about that. The jury's still out on that. But both of them, uh, mainly, you know, DUIs, drunken disorderly, stuff like that, pills, uh, run, that kind of stuff, cocaine, uh, it's mostly self-inflicted crime is what Marty Jannetty before last week was really he's self-destructive. He's not dangerous, at least we thought until, until last week. Until the possibilities of, of last week that came to light. 
So, yes, uh, and and I, I will uh, give the story very briefly here. Uh, but this, I'll give you the TMZ story and then the People.com follow-up, which is uh, Marty Jannetty may have confessed to murdering someone when he was 13 years old in a bizarre social media post, and now cops are investigating. Uh, the former tag team member of the Rockers told a story on Facebook about trying to buy weed from a man who he worked uh, who worked at a bowling alley in his hometown when things went awry. I was 13 working at Victory Lane's bowling alley buying weed from a word I'm not going to repeat that worked there. And he put his hands on me, dragged me around the back of the building. You already know what he was going to try to do. And that's the first time I made a man disappear. They never found him. They should have looked in the Chattahoochee River way down yonder in the Chattahoochee River. Uh, but then the people.com follow up. Uh, he did an interview, Marty did, uh, after this with Millennium Wrestling Federation hours after he posted this message. And uh, he reaffirmed his claim. So he did post it, apparently, saying he acted in self defense and he hit the man in the head with a brick after the man tried to rape him. And if I, I might include a clip of his interview on here, I might not because Marty in the in the clip does not sound like he's in a very good state of mind. But I, I'm not sure. That's just my opinion. That's my allegation. <laughs> he explained he was working at the bowling alley, so he was working at the bowling alley. I got in the guy's car and he gave me the bag of weed. He reached over and grabbed me down there. I didn't expect that because it wasn't the first day I met him. I knew him. And then he wanted to leave the car. The man got upset. He jumped out of the car, came around, grabbed me by the hair. When he grabbed me by the hair, I couldn't get away. And he alleged the man was six feet tall and dragged Marty behind the bowling alley where he attempted to rape him. He said, if I couldn't have handled myself, that dude would have raped me. And he said, I probably don't need to say this, but there was a brick laying there. It was the right thing to do in the moment. The Columbus Police Department, they're in charge of this jurisdiction. Uh, we're going to look into this, is all they'll say. And uh, But unfortunately, they've got several current active homicide investigations underway. So that, that will be the priority. So it might be weeks or years or months before we ever get to the bottom of this before we get to the bottom of the Chattahoochee River and find out if Marty actually did might have killed a guy and if he did in self-defense we'll all we'll all figure that out together well we do know he loves his uh, stepdaughter oh that one up there well that one he denies that post uh, that post that was made gosh now it's been three years ago I think where he claimed to okay the the Facebook post basically said yeah, there's this girl, I think she's my daughter, but we had a DNA test. Turns out she's not my daughter, and we're going to do it. So you guys got any, should I do it? And uh, he claimed that he was hacked, which sort of makes sense based on his explanation for another Facebook post that was weird, and that he doesn't have a lock on his phone, so anybody can get on there and type anything, which, put a lock on your phone, Marty. So... Uh, that one, that one I'll excuse that one. I, that one I will take Marty's word for, because he does seem like an older guy that doesn't understand technology and probably would leave his phone unlocked and people could fuck with him. So, uh, and then he wouldn't remember it because he's probably passed out from doing, uh, some, uh, extracurriculars the night before. So, 
this is your pick from March 14th, 2005. And he really is a cool dude. And I love oh, him. He's super cool. He is. And I, I just, he has his moments where you just want to be like, what the fuck, dude? What is, what is wrong with you today? What is going on in your head today? And then there's a lot of times that he's just, he's cool, you know, to be around and he's a cool guy. And so it just, it, I, I mean, we all have bad days. Some of, some bad days are worse than others, but I've never had one bad enough that I uh, decided to say I was I killed a man or anything like that. So we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and, and well, see. Marty's had a lot of bad days, and Marty uh, is up there in the ranks of people with bad days. And uh, so this is from 2005, March 14th, the edition of Raw coming at us from the Gwinnett Center. They didn't even run uh phillips or arena or pepsi center or whatever it was called in 2005 in atlanta they ran the smaller gwinnett center but this allowed them access to people that live in and around georgia so they got two people on the show that just happened to be around so they said ah we're doing all this nostalgia for wrestlemania 21 come on down guys come on down so we get the union underground theme to raw which is much better than any raw theme <laughs> that ever followed it, which at the time I didn't like this theme, but then, you know, we got Nickelback and Papa Roach and all these other people after that. And so I miss this theme very much complete with the Eric Bischoff picture at the end, even though he wasn't on this show at all, he was still the GM of raw. He's the silver haired Fox at this point though. So it wasn't the black haired, uh, raw, uh, Bischoff wasn't the black-haired Bischoff. It was AEW Bischoff, all gray. Uh, the road to WrestleMania is in Atlanta, Georgia, or close to Atlanta, Georgia, if you ask me. Uh, tonight's big match, even though it's not the main event, is a pick-your-poison match, which is just a regular match. It's just uh, that Batista gets to pick a match for Triple H, a singles competitor, and next week Triple H gets to do the same for him as they uh, will be facing off at WrestleMania 21. Chris Jericho is in the middle of the ring, though, to start off the night for the highlight reel, and he's sitting on top of the ladder and under the Money in the Bank briefcase, as 21 would be the first ever Money in the Bank uh, briefcase match, which is crazy that that match is now 15 years old. I still feel like this is a new concept. <laughs> Even though I, they've done it a lot. I mean, it's got its own pay-per-view now, but I mean... They don't do it at WrestleMania anymore, which kind of bums me out. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, they usually do a ladder match at WrestleMania, so it's not like they did away with the ladder match. They just took away the briefcase, so yeah. So Jericho's guest tonight is Randall himself, Randy Orton, who is Undertaker's challenger for WrestleMania. The Legend Killer uh, had a lot less tattoos here in 2005. The Legend Killer versus the Legend at WrestleMania. Yes, Randall wants to be a Hall of Famer like Taker, and he says the only way to do that is to beat the streak at WrestleMania, which is not true at all because Drew Carey's in the Hall of Fame, so you don't have to beat Undertaker at WrestleMania. You can do a, a million other things and be in the Hall of Fame. 
and Randall is going to be in the Hall of Fame uh, regardless of the fact that he never beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. He reminds the crowd of beating Foley at Mania, which, by the way, when he came out, he was getting cheered. So, uh, And he was a face uh, in 2004 because uh, he went against Hunter. So this has been... This was a really downtime for Randy Orton's character where uh, you weren't really sure what to make of him. And then even the legend killer thing would get passed on in a few years to Chris Jericho, the other man in the ring. So uh, where he was challenging legends when they came out with the wrestler movie. So he reminds the crowd that he beat Foley at WrestleMania, which he neglects to mention that that was also the Rock and Sock connection. And he was it was a tag team match. But whatever, that's fine. He won the belt off of Chris Benoit, and on SmackDown, he's got something in store for Taker at the contract signing, so tune in on Thursday. Jericho says, I've got a surprise for you, Randy, and Randy thinks, oh, that must mean The Undertaker's there. But no, surprise, I've got someone that faced The Undertaker at WrestleMania 8, and he brings out Jake the Snake Roberts from Stone Mountain, Georgia, who in 2020 looks better than he did in 2005. So that's crazy. He he looked terrible here. They show clips of Jake from WrestleMania 3, WrestleMania 7, and a clip of Jake with Kamala from Saturday Night's Main Event. So Kamala reference here, too. So there's two Kamala references tonight. Jake is dressed in the same outfit as Randall, so it's kind of funny. They're both wearing the same slacks and, like, white button-up shirt. Jake, who is very heavy and uh, looks like he needs some uh, serious help, says it's good to be back. He says he knows Randall's grandpa and Cowboy Bob, but he doesn't know Randy that well. He says 12-0 is important, and timing is everything. And he says he's going to do a favor for Bob. Because he knows Bob. And Randy, you're talking out your ass. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Be careful. And please, uh, please, for the love of God, put this entire clip in here with Jake Roberts. Because he started rambling at one point, and I didn't know if he meant to or if it was just nerves and scared or what but it was he pulled it back together he pulled it back together and it turned out really cool you know damn it's good to be back Randy um I know your grandfather, great wrestler, great wrestler. And uh, I know your father real well. Bobby's a phenomenal wrestler. I have a lot of respect for him. I don't know you that well, all right? Now, (laughs) 12 and 0 means something to me. The Undertaker's a fine man. You see, if you're hitting the baseball, you hit the baseball. If you shoot a three-point basket, you shoot the three points. If you play in hockey, you play hockey. But they don't play no more. The thing is, it's all about timing. Timing is very important. And I know how good you are because you were world champion. But I see that the world championship belt is not with you tonight. 
So, if you won it, you must have lost it, okay? What I'm here to do tonight is a favor, all right? A favor to your father. Because Mr. Orton, it seems to me I need to reintroduce your brain to your mouth because you're talking out your ass. Now, as a favor, and because I, uh, I like you, <laughs> I will shut your hole. You understand? That's what a man says. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Do you understand that? Be careful. It's only respect. It's only respect. Be careful. Jake, I've learned a lot of lessons in my life. And I've heard that when you face The Undertaker, it's not only about winning or losing. It's about leaving the ring with your soul. Now I've heard a lot, I've heard a lot from a lot of guys that say they'd left, they left the ring after being defeated from The Undertaker with a cold, empty feeling inside. Hell yeah, man. No doubt. Well, you should know a little bit about that, Jake. Because you were one of his victims, right? WrestleMania 8! How'd you feel when you left the ring that night? Cold? Empty, afraid, because Jake, that's a lesson that I refuse to learn to be afraid because I'm not afraid to make an impact. And at WrestleMania, when I end Undertaker's winning streak, I will have made a bigger impact than you have made your entire career. impact do you really want some impact I tell you what I'm gonna show you 12 feet of impact all right oh no I knew it I knew it oh no I'd get out of there if I were you Randy Orton Yeah, no, I thought his promo was his promo skills were still good. It's just what can you do with a guy that can cut promos that looks like I mean, he can't Jake's not he couldn't even be a manager at this point. I mean, the guy was immobile. I mean, 
DDP saved this guy's life. He did bring out the snake with him, by the way, but again, just like WrestleMania 8, no snake because it never made its way out of the bag. Randy talks about Jake leaving WrestleMania 8 as a loser, and Randy is not afraid to make an impact, and he'll make a greater impact than Jake ever did with a single win over The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Jake is going to show Randy the snake. He goes for his snake bag. But instead, he tricks Randy, short-arm clotheslines him when he tries to stop him for going for the bag. He goes for the DDT, but Randy hits the RKO out of nowhere and puts Jake down. So this uh, Georgia-based crowd didn't get to see their hero hit the DDT. Instead, they get the legend killer puts another legend down. So there you go. They show highlights of Benoit beating Hunter at WrestleMania 20, which was a year before this aired to the day as they go to break. So wonderful to get your champion over heading into WrestleMania. Show him tapping out last year. Uh, I guess Triple H didn't have a say in whether they were showing this or not. Up next, Kane is in a handicap match against Tomko and Christian, two guys that would be bound for glory in TNA. Hulk <laughs> still rules highlights of Hulk beating Sheep for the belt in 1984. This is the year he went into the Hall of Fame, so they're showing clips of him as I just got, man, there is so much nostalgia. And I mean, WWE is never short for nostalgia, but this episode was just beating it over my head. Hey, do you remember this? <laughs> do you remember? Hey, these guys, the 80s, remember? Remember? Do you still remember? Kane qualified for the Money in the Bank match last week by beating Christian, but Tomko slammed the ladder in his face. So that's why Kane said, fuck it, I'll just fight both of you at once. Kane works with Christian, who quickly tags Tomko in. Terrible striking from Tomko to Kane as Tomko stinks. Christian takes over, and the heels keep control. An inverted DDT gets a two count from Christian. Captain Charisma tries to crotch Kane on the post, but Kane counters. Kane takes over on Tomko's Christian walks up the ramp as if he's leaving. What a good partner. Kane does his signature top rope clothesline to Tomko. Choke slam. One, two, three. And Christian just stands on the ramp as he watches his friend get beat. So Kane, the face, overcomes the, the disadvantage and just beats the heels almost immediately. Gotta make him look strong for next week, I guess. Christian grabs a ladder but just runs away from Kane. Then the mayor of Knox County decks Tomko and makes fire shoot out of the ring. So Christian runs away again. Uh, this match sucked. Uh, the This had no chance at, in hell. And uh, it was an awful match to lead the night with. None of the matches, well, one match on this show was really, really good. And then the rest of them were all just like, what is this? What am I, what, what, what are we doing? I think there was two good matches. Oh, I, yeah, I, I know your second one. Ric Flair is with Snitsky. Flair just tells Snitsky everything was not his fault, which goes against what Snitsky always says. Well, no, it agrees with everything Snitsky says. Everything is not his fault. When you came to WWE, there was a misunderstanding in your character. There were people that actually thought the death of Kane and Lita's baby was your fault. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't. Just like Batista getting a better number than you at the Royal Rumble was not your fault. 
wasn't my I fault. know that. Just like Batista, electing to stay in Raw rather than go to SmackDown was not your fault. It wasn't. No, I know that. I dig it. I get it. But tonight, if Batista got hurt so bad that he couldn't make the match at WrestleMania, that wouldn't be your fault either. It would be glorious, but it wouldn't be your fault. Rick, I like where you're going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when I hurt Batista tonight, that will definitely be all my fault. <sighs> Flair wants Snitsky to injure Batista tonight. That's the main event. Snitsky. Gene Snitsky is in the main event of Raw over Chris Benoit and Triple H. <laughs> Just let that sit in uh, for a second. <laughs> the one and only shot, kid. Make it count. Yeah, Flair wants Snitsky to injure Batista, so that way Batista doesn't have to go to WrestleMania, which, hey, Flair, hey, hey, Earth to Rick Flair, that doesn't mean that Triple H won't be wrestling at WrestleMania. It just means he'll be wrestling someone else. Uh, he says it will be his fault if he hurts Batista, says Snitsky. Hey, I'm not going to do what you tell me, but I, I'm still going to hurt him. So kind of a a halfway promise from Snitsky. Boot of the week brought to us by Lugs and Birdman, the rapper, the guy who was in charge of Cash Money Records for a while, I think. And the boot of the week was Christy Hemme challenging Trish, and she hit a twist of fate, which is not a boot. So this sponsorship was so stupid. I was like, okay, we're going to see a big boot. No. We saw a twist of fate, which is not a boot. Uh, Lita enlisted William Regal and Tajiri to help Christy Hemi, her apprentice, learn to defend against Trish's kicks, but only if she signs her copy of Playboy that Tajiri owns. So this is really just a plug for her Playboy, Christy Hemi's Playboy. Okay, so don't get discouraged. We still okay. have some time, all right? Okay. And good job, by the way, last week on oh, the twist of thanks, fate. Thanks, Lita. So I thought now we can work on maybe defending some of Trisha's kicks mm -hmm. and learning how to throw some, too. Yeah. And um, I got some help for us, all right? Oh, good. Hello. Let's go hey, guys. Hey. So as you know, Tajiri throws some of the most devastating kicks in the world. Yeah. And he said that he's more than happy to show you how it's done, right, okay. Tajiri? Mm. Mm. Well, actually under one condition, mm. and that is if you sign a copy of... His Playboy. <laughs> Don't worry, dear. He only reads the articles. Okay. Now, Christy. Okay. You know what it feels like to get kicked by Trish, right? So you know the power that she throws. Now, right. Tajiri's going to throw some kicks. So you got to watch how he okay. throws them, the power, and how I defend them. Okay? It's very it. important. Okay. Right. Okay, Tajiri, let's go. Now you see the power? Wow. Push yeah. it off his back leg. All right. All right. Come on, again. Come on, again. Strong. You think you're ready to try? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I'm ready. Come on. Okay. Come on. Come on, a bit more power. And again, girl. Go on. Is that okay? Listen, if you're thinking of beating Trish Stratus at WrestleMania, you're going to have to do a lot better than that, you know? You're not trying out for the bloody Rockettes. Come on. Concentrate. I'm going to give you an open target. Kick it as hard as you can. Come on. Come on. But what are you waiting for? Trish Stratus is going to wipe the bloody floor with you. Look, I can see it in your eyes. You just don't have what it takes, do you, you to do, beat Christy. her? Look. No. You do this. 
You're pathetic. Uh, no, You're I'm not. Now, come on, kick that bloody yeah. thing. Kick it. Oh, oh, yeah. oh my God. I'm sorry. That's what's going on. Oh, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to kick I him there. No, you didn't. Look, oh, William, we are really sorry I'm about sorry. that. I'm sorry. We're gonna go get you some ice or something, okay? More than bloody ice. Oops. Oh. Not bad. Christy tries to do some Tajiri kicks, and she kicks did William Regal. Hang on a minute. Did he own Christy Hemmings Playboy? No, I was too young to purchase. Hold on, 2005. How old was I? Let me think. Uh, that would have been would have been 19, so I could have bought it. No, no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't buy any of those. Uh, I didn't buy Sable's Playboy, though. I did. I did find the pictures of it on the internet and put it on a floppy disk. That's how old I am for <laughs> Playboy pictures of wrestlers. There I think I go. might have even left Sable's on the desktop, and I think. My dad found them. He didn't get me in trouble for them, but he like I think he mentioned it passingly one day, like when I was that age, like, oh that sable, she's pretty good looking, huh? And I was like <laughs> and he didn't watch wrestling, so this was all just he clearly found uh I was not good at covering my tracks uh at that age, but uh, the other I mean that's what I would have done with Christy Emmys at that point two thousand five is just find find them free on the internet like anything else it's like even by 2005 buying a magazine seems really outdated so uh yeah i i did see the pictures but i did not did not purchase them okay. uh so she's she's agrees to sign it even though she doesn't in this uh clip christy tries to do some of tajiri's kicks and she kicks Regal in the dick by accident. So that's the end of this segment. Up next, a the, the the most forced, strangest interaction ever. So we go to the locker room and Shawn Michaels is there getting ready. Getting ready for what exactly? We don't know. Because it's never explained what he's getting ready for, why he's in his gear. Because Marty Jannetty just happens to walk in and just gives him a hug. And says, hey, man, thanks for inviting me down here. And uh, the backstory on this is that before this, Marty was sending out strange messages to his friends or like text messages saying he's going to kill himself. And someone got a hold of Sean. Sean said, "I OK, I, I'm going to help you out because I'm uh, born again. I'm, I've, I'm not a dick anymore. I forgive, you know, I forgive myself and I forgive you for our disagreements because they hated each other for years but sean said okay fine i'm gonna give marty a chance here since we're in georgia i'm gonna put in the word for him with vince i'm gonna get him in here to do this angle with angle <laughs> with with kurt angle as uh this was also bring back uh, sherry martell some more nostalgia this is all this is your life sean michaels spread out over a few weeks here uh so was, marty was, was this when marty had to kiss Vince's ass or was this something else? What was that another time? Cause Marty's been, Marty's had three, three run short, short runs where he's been brought back. Yeah. I know he came back in 2009 and wrestled the Miz. I don't know if he, that would have been after that would have been the PG era. So I doubt he kissed Vince's ass then. So maybe on, cause he had one more match 
on SmackDown with Angle, with which they promoted. So maybe it was after that. I, I'm not sure. And, I mean, and he he appeared he appeared at like the 15th anniversary. He one of the anniversary shows he appeared at too. So he did one more before that 2009 appearance. So yeah, possibly. I, I'm just not, I'm not real sure. So uh, Marty comes in from seemingly out of nowhere. I mean. How did he get in the arena? How did he get... uh, He got an invite, but that doesn't get you into the locker room. So Marty just appears out of thin air. And uh, if you were watching at home and had not been a fan of WWE in the mid-90s, you would have been like, who the fuck is this guy? Uh, Marty says, hey, man, thanks for the invite. Sean says, yeah, you got a match against Kurt on SmackDown. Sean says, hey, tonight, you, me, Rockers Reunion, one night only, against La Resistance. And Marty says, uh, yeah, sure, man, sure. And HBK is like, hey, do you I got your gear? And he says, I always got it on me, which is very sad. The life of an indie wrestler. Uh, hey, you and never, also- go, never go to a show without your gear. Never. I don't care. Even if it's a WWE show and you're an indie wrestler, never go. Because you never know when you might get recognized and they say, hey, we want to see a tryout. So never, ever not go without your stuff. Shawn Michaels. What's up, man? Hey, long time no see, bro. It's good to How see you. How you doing, man? man? You're looking good, bro. Thanks. And let me thank you for inviting me down here to the Raw show tonight, man. Yeah, no, and I know it was last minute, but Marty, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. You've got a huge match Thursday night on SmackDown against yeah. Kurt Angle. Same guy I got to face at WrestleMania. And you know what? If you're making your return to the WWE, it can't be on SmackDown. It's got to be right here on Raw. Tonight? Yeah. Tonight? You got your wrestling gear? Right. I sleep with it. You know <laughs> I got it. You know I got it. Well, here's my idea. I, I cleared it with Bischoff, the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, and Marty Jannetty together again against La Resistance, former tag team champions. You and me. Rockers reunion. One night only. We can do this. Let me get my stuff, bro. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels, our Rockers reunion tonight. The King, look what's coming up next. We get a Stone Cold Stunner highlight from 1998. This is one of my favorite Stone Cold moments as he drives his Zamboni to the ring, which more nostalgia, man. This WrestleMania, it's weird that they're pumping so much nostalgia into WrestleMania 21 and not so much. They didn't do it so much for 20 when you would think that the round number would... That's true. B. But this was the year they brought back the Hall of Fame, so I guess that's part of the reason. And uh, so he'll be at WrestleMania 21 to do Piper's Pit in a uh, less... Did they not do a Hall of Fame for 20? I thought they did. This class, class, though, was, was a badass class of Hall of Famers. Hogan, Piper, Orndorff, Orton, I mean, Jimmy Hart, just, this was a badass class. Yeah, those first few years they brought it back, they were badass. And then I think you should have probably put it on the shelf for a while and then brought it back again down the road. Because now we're at the point where we're putting factions in. Now we're at the point where we're putting people in two or three times. So I think that would have been the better way to do it. I think Marty Jannetty needs to go into the Hall of Fame with the Rockers. Well, he was part of the CTE lawsuit, so unless Sean can convince Vince or 
ultimately it's going to be when Vince passes away. If and then who knows if Marty's going to be around by then because that's a tough bet to take at this point. Uh, but maybe Hunter will have a different opinion about people that were part of that CTE lawsuit. But Marty uh, is also bitter at them for what I talked about with Kamala because he's got a bad ankle and wanted his ankle taken care of in addition to being a part of the CTE lawsuit. So Marty not in the best light here, even though they've given him many, many chances before. So that's not to say they won't do it again because this man's had a million chances and uh, has fucked them all up, including this one, uh, which we'll talk about after his match tonight. Uh, now, Stone Cold, on the other hand, uh, they would love to have Stone Cold back. <laughs> they would, unlike Marty, they're back. They would do anything. Yes, uh, they would go. They would do anything. They would at this point in 2020. Uh, they would do anything to have Stone Cold Steve Austin wrestle in any capacity. Doesn't matter if he's wrestling or not. Even if he was just on the show, they would back up the Brinks truck for this man. So uh, Stone Cold in a very different place in uh, in the eyes of the WWE than Marty Jannetty, and in a very different place in his life than Marty Jannetty. And he also he also made a lot more money than Marty Jannetty, so that helps too. But uh, this highlight from 98 was him driving the Zamboni. And he's at WrestleMania 21 to do Piper's Pit, which was not a very good segment. Sorry, I love both of these guys. It was probably the weakest WrestleMania segment for both of them. And it might, this Piper's Pit might be a little bit better than the one he did with Morton Downey Jr., but just by a hair. And actually, I don't know. I don't even think so. Because I think him spraying Morton Downey Jr. with the fire extinguisher is better than what he did with Austin. So, which was them just slapping each other. I like you. I like you too. Drink some beer, okay? Thanks for wasting my fucking time. I paid sixty dollars for this pay per view to watch Stone Cold and slap Roddy Piper and Roddy Piper slap him back and drink a beer. So, doesn't somebody come out and interrupt them or something? I think so. I feel like maybe Eugene or somebody, like somebody really low on the card. Um, yeah, um, I just remember Hogan lacing up and coming out to uh, do a deal with uh, uh, Muhammad Hassan. I don't even remember that. Jeez. Hassan goes out and he's talking crap about how it's WrestleMania and he's being kept off the card because because of his race and all this stuff. And right, it's the same stuff he was doing on this Raw. Right, right. He's being kept, you know, and then all of a sudden Real American hits and it's Hogan and he comes out and he hits three fists, a big boot and a leg drop and the place goes batshit crazy. And that's that. I don't remember that at all. But you don't remember that? No, yeah. no, and I usually remember random shit like that. But that's twenty-one is a WrestleMania that, honestly, just outside of the the Sean and Kurt Angle match, I don't really remember much of. I mean, I know that I know that it's like they crown Batista and they crown Cena. So I know it's like it's a rough card, other than the Money in the Bank. Being the very first money in the bank, it's a rough card. 
It really is. Well, and the Sean and Angle match is pretty good. Oh, uh, yeah. The Sean and Angle. Yeah. So, uh, King and JR promote Money in the Bank. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You just, you just got to see it. Which, hey, they would be right about something. Shelton Benjamin comes out, but Edge jumps him on the ramp. Uh, Shelton was the IC champion here, but the belt's not on the line. He uh, Edge throws him into the Titan Tron, stomps him down. He beats Shelton down the ramp. It's all fine because the match hasn't started because, hey, before that bell rings, just do whatever. Just stab your opponent if you need to. Uh, he hurls Benjamin into the guardrail and the steps. Mike Kyoto finally gets him to back off, and Shelton agrees to start the match even though he's groggy. He immediately gets thrown back out of the ring, so we go to commercial break, as that's the, the cue to always take a break, is when someone gets out of the ring. When we return from break, Edge has Shelton in a chin lock in the middle of the ring. Shelton elbows himself out of it, but gets a knee from Edge. Edge goes for a superplex, but Shelton knocks Edge to the ring. Benjamin hits the lariat from the top rope for a two count. Benjamin takes some nasty forearms, then hits a shoulder tackle to slow Edge down. They exchange strikes, and Benjamin gets some momentum with a running knee lift. Benjamin leaps to the top rope, which is always a cool move that he could do. He could leap over the first two buckles and get right to the top. Then he hits a flying sunset flip for a two count. Tries a springboard something, but Edge catches him for a power slam. Edge wants the spear. Benjamin leaps over him. Benjamin accidentally kicks Kyoto. Benjamin then gets speared, but there's no ref to count. Edge then goes and gets the ladder. But Chris Jericho runs out and catapults it into him, which makes zero sense going into this Money in the Bank match that Jericho would pick a fight with one guy in particular, but whatever. A T-bone suplex from Benjamin, and he gets the win off a T-bone suplex as Mike Kyoto woke up and counted the three. So this was... Again, not a not a very good match. Uh, not a very good match for, especially Edge. It really didn't show much from Edge. Uh, when nope. Benjamin woke up, he did pretty phenomenal stuff. And then Edge, here in 2005, he would be champion in January. So, uh, just a very strange, uh, very strange billing. And to, to have the Jericho interference, I don't, I don't get it. But whatever. Shelton Benjamin is hands down one of the greatest in-ring talents of all time. Thanks, Jim Ross. I'm Look, serious. Yeah, yeah, he's athletic. He's athletic, but that's as far as I'll go. I'm not going to say he's one of the greatest in-ring ever because there's also an element of psychology that I think Shelton is missing from his in-ring ability. He He's a very, yeah, he's a great worker. And you know what? If he was in Ring of Honor, he he, you know, to this day, like he'd be like Jay Lethal. He'd be like a lifer that he could be at the top the entire time. But the fact that he came back to the WWE after all those years and is being just squandered away and the fact that he never improved on the microphone and to this day is being propped up by MVP and other other guys like that. It's just kind of disappointing when, yeah, you see you see the potential, but I still think he's unpolished. I think that there's just something missing and I like him a lot, but you can see why he never made it past the mid card ranks. And he's also had, he's also unfortunately fell into 
bad gimmicks when he had we got stuck with mama uh, beyond that and, and then injuries so he's had some other things that that weren't his own doing but uh yeah that's that's my take on Shelton Benjamin we get more highlights from the past from WrestleMania 7 the last rockers match at WrestleMania where they beat the future faces of fear they face barbarian and haku at WrestleMania 7 awesome then uh, JR and King plug Batista and Snitsky for later. You definitely want to stick around for that, folks. Rockers music plays. And this is, I'm very disappointed here with Sean. And I don't know how late this came together. Obviously, it came together pretty late. Uh, but look, you got to put on some fucking tassels, Sean. You got to get into. I give Sean all sorts of shit about all his outfits. Okay. Fine, he's gonna wear his regular Shawn Michaels pants. Put on some fucking tassels, you know. Get into the spirit of the rockers a little bit, just a little. Things that they used to wear, something. I mean, yeah, you don't have to go full neon green onesie thing that that Marty, you know, was wearing long after they broke up. You don't have to go dye your mullet blonde and have it fluffed up. But put on some fucking tassels. Put on a rocker shirt. You can wrestle with a shirt on for just one match. I mean, Marty had to. Just fucking blend in with the team. Like, I just... This really pissed me off that Sean didn't get... Sean didn't give it his all. Like, uh... So it was like halfway a rocker's reunion. That's that's what kind of upset... It'd be like if... Uh, in a different time period, if, like, Hawk was still alive and they did, like, an LOD reunion, but... Hawk just came out in like blue jeans and a t-shirt to team with Animal, who was in his like elbow pads and full face paint. Like, and I mean Marty, you know Marty wasn't in his same shit either from the '80s. Obviously, he had pants and a shirt, and but he had tassels. That's all. That's all I'm asking. Is uh, just play into it a little bit. Also, you know, Sean was a little off with his rockers. Uh, you know movements and stuff like that so but you know if this came together super late i'll give him the benefit of the doubt but put on some do something man just do something you could have at least done the rocker dropper into the splash for the win but they didn't even do that so they didn't even do their finisher um uh conway and and grognier are out as la resistance no uh renee dupre uh, here with them. Marty is going to start with Grenier. He does some nice arm drags. Marty wait a minute, gets... Wait a minute, wait a minute. I got to say something. So we're getting all hyped up about the return of Marty Jannetty and Marty starting the match. That is bad booking. You would expect to build that up for a hot tag, right? You know, right. to see the guy, exactly. the guy come in. Exactly. You want to build that up for a hot tag. That's just flat out bad booking. I think also Sean wanted to give him the most, I mean, he got most of the ring time here because this was in essentially, this was an audition match. This was a, please give me a job match. And, uh, and as we'll talk about afterwards, he was offered one and he got one for a minute. Uh, so Marty does some nice arm drags. Marty gets chance as he finally gets stopped as Conway comes in. Sean tags in. They hit a double team hip toss and elbow drop, but they both fuck up the kip up. So 
okay, the Rockers are a little out of practice, guys. Uh, both hit crossbodies to law resistance, who are out of the ring. Conway low bridges Michaels out of the ring. He gets dropped on the guardrail. He takes over on Sean when they get back in the ring. La Resistance hits the heart attack on Shawn Michaels, but the announcers don't call this. And I just thought that was weird that they didn't point that out at all. And Janetti saves him as, of course, uh, the Heart Foundation were going to drop the tag team titles to the Rockers back in the day, but the rope broke. So that would have been a good thing to bring up. Just something, oh, that's why La Resistance did that. Sean lands some big chops to Grenier and hits his flying forearm. He kips up. Marty gets the tag, runs wild. Janetti hits the rocker dropper to Grenier. And Sean super kicks Conway out of the way. And Janetti gets the cover and the win. And the Rockers are successful for their one night only reunion. As in 2020, if this was booked, they, they would have brought in Kurt Angle to do a run and break it up. So... I applaud them for resisting the urge to do modern day WWE booking and have this end in a fuck finish and just let these guys go out there and win in front of Marty's hometown crowd and just have a nice moment of nostalgia and move on. But Marty looked decent. He didn't look like I mean, he looked like he could carry himself in the ring and they thought the same thing. And they brought him back for that match against Angle on, on SmackDown and then gave him a contract. But unfortunately, because Marty is Marty, he missed his first round of house shows, so he got fired immediately. <laughs> so you can't miss your dates, especially when you're trying to get back into the company. Uh, this wouldn't be the last time they tried to get him back in the company. He would fail a drug test trying to be a trainer for uh, FCW. So he had another opportunity later down the road and then was brought in uh, on those other occasions. So it wouldn't be the end for Gennetti in the WWE, but it was as far as him being a performer in the WWE was basically the end, even though, like I said, he had a couple other throwaway matches. So, um, I mean, he was he's only five years older than Michaels, so it, I mean, he could have still done some stuff here I, I don't know what i don't know how you book marty Jannetty in 2005 against all these jacked up dudes because i mean this was uh how do you book marty Jannetty in 2020 here's how i would bring him in if i was bringing in marty Jannetty, which i would not do in 2020 <laughs> uh, but if i was if i was crazy but say i have a character like hangman page who hangman page is depicted as a fun alcoholic and they've never uh turned the storyline to be where it's detrimental to the rest of the elite or whatever and i don't want to do like the hall or the hawk thing or the jake roberts thing where he's a drunk but say marty comes in to set him straight and just say your partying is out of control look at me and almost bring him in as a ddp type figure where look i got i got myself straight and i'm gonna get you straight but unfortunately marty's not straight so really patrick there is no good way to book marty Janetti in 2020 and in 2005 i mean look at this roster of dudes you can't put marty Janetti in the ring with tomco you can't put him in there with batista these guys that are giant muscle bound uh juice heads that's not marty Janetti's 
forte. And so I don't, I don't know what you would do with them, but uh, in 2005 or 2020, but as far as being a trainer in FCW or a trainer in NXT, I think that would have been good because he was a solid worker. He wasn't spectacular. He's not on Sean's level. He's not on Shelton Benjamin's level, but he is a guy that he's certainly better than a Norman Smiley who was employed there for many, many years. So yeah, I think that's, that's what you do with him. And you bring him in as a job guy on occasion, you know, uh, just, I don't know. He, he's a tough case. I mean, obviously he's a tough case. His, his whole life and career has been a really tough case. So, uh, but this was a really nice moment for him. So I felt really good for him here. And they even did their little rockers exit on the way out. What'd you think of this match? Oh, hands down tie for match of the night. I think the next match is is a little bit better. Uh, Triple H is in the locker room massaging his belt because that's what he does. He just rubs Big Goldie when he's not wrestling. Flair reminds him, hey, you remember last year? You tapped out to this guy you're about to wrestle. And Triple H is like, yeah, 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 I remember, I remember. Flair says, you're going to destroy Chris Benoit and Snitsky will maim Batista. It's going to be a good night. Hey, champ, big night thing. Here you go. And I know that it was one year ago, exactly today, that you tapped out to Chris Benoit at WrestleMania. Yeah, I, remember, I know, I'm well aware. I know. Okay. Well, I also know that last week after Batista took a sledgehammer away from you, broke it over his knee, you were humiliated and embarrassed. I know. Rick, <laughs> I know. What is your point? <laughs> My point is, champ, that tonight you're going to destroy Chris Benoit. <laughs> and because of me, Batista has to wrestle Snitsky, and he may get he may get maimed. <laughs> Not even make WrestleMania, and you still get to pick his opponent next week. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So that means that nobody will remember you tapping out to Chris Benoit a year ago, squealing like a pig, whining like a baby. Rick. I get it. All right. I get it. Okay. Don't make sure. So. There you go. It's going to be good, Triple H. Raw is brought to you by Boost Mobile, which is still around in 2020. Lugs, which we're not sure is still around. And by MX versus ATV Unleashed for Xbox and PS2. So you can have your... I had this video game. Motocross. You can have your four-wheeler take on... Oh, no, your motocross... You can have your bike, your motorcycle, take on your four-wheeler and jump over dirt. Everything was extreme. Monster trucks and doom buggies. Maria Canellis asked Trish about Christy at WrestleMania as Maria had won the Divas search, but was just an interviewer at this point. She was not a wrestler. She was interviewing Trish. Trish, you should get a trainer like Hannibal Lecter. Trish then decks Maria, tosses her into garbage cans, and leaves her as Finley. Fit Finley, who is not a performer at this time, was still a trainer, uh, comes in and checks on her. So he was he got Marty's job, basically. He got to wrestle after this uh, and train the Divas. So he kept both jobs. Uh, he's a much better wrestler than Marty Jannetty. But uh, it's because uh, Maria says you should get a trainer like Hannibal Lecter. So she insults Trish. So that's why she goes into the garbage cans. Flares with Snitsky and says he's confident in his ability to take down Batista. 
he shouldn't be. Batista looks on and has a laugh. He's in the locker room with them, and he just has a laugh. These two idiots. Rick says he can't take away Triple H's title or Triple H's role in movies, which I dare say Batista has in 2020, taken away all of Triple H's, any role he has in movies. And Flair says he he should slap Batista himself. I have to admit that prior to seeing you in person and looking at you very closely, I was a little concerned about the match tonight with Batista. But now that I've seen you, I'm taken back. I'm impressed. You're bigger. You're stronger. You're faster. You're better developed. You're smarter than Batista. But let me tell you something. Batista's a bad boy. So if you get him down, the only thing we got to talk about right now is are you mean enough to really hurt him? Are you mean enough to take advantage of him and grab a body part and break it? Are you mean enough? Hey, I'm talking to you. Snitsky, nature of the Snitsky, come in. Did you say, hey, Rick? Ha! You'll never be hey, Rick anymore. It'll be, how are you, Mr. Nature Boy? You who's chasing a dream. You who's chasing something you can't have. <laughs> you can't take away Hunter's championship. You can't take away his starring role in the movies. You can't take away his 10 world championships. You can't take away his notoriety. He is the franchise here, you idiot. He, oh, what are you smiling about? I had to slap that smile off. I had to slap that smile off your face right now. But Triple H and WrestleMania will eat you alive. He'll take everything that you want of his. So forget it. You got it? <laughs> I'm not afraid either. How about that? How about that? Rick! <laughs> the only thing I'm going to take away from Triple H is the World Heavyweight Championship. Batista says all he's going to take away is the belt, which is a terrible, weak response from a face wrestler. All I want is the belt. Okay, G. Up next is the match of the night. Triple H is out with Ric Flair. Chris Benoit is in front of his adopted hometown, his infamous hometown, as he would adopt it as. as uh, this is the city where the things went down in 2007. Highlights again of Benoit beating this guy a year ago, but no title on the line tonight. It's just for pride. It's a pick-your-poison match, and Batista handpicked Chris Benoit for this. Maddox changes, Hunter rolls to the ropes. Lawler says Triple H will be on the Bernie Mac show on Friday, which this past week was the anniversary of Bernie Mac's passing, so another connection to 2020. Two crossface attempts, and Hunter makes it to the ropes both times. Big chops to Hunter in the corner, followed by a snap suplex. Benoit takes Hunter outside, continues the assault. They take a break, and Benoit is still in control when we come back, and he chops Hunter multiple times in the ring before Hunter hits a spine buster for a near fall. Benoit is whipped to the ropes and then posted. He blocks a superplex with headbutts. He looks for the flying headbutt but can't find his footing, and Hunter stops him to finally hit that superplex he wanted. Hunter goes for the pedigree, but Benoit catapults him into the buckles. 
triple Germans to Hunter, followed by a second round, so six German suplexes. He goes for the flying headbutt, nails it. Hunter, being Superman, of course, kicks out at two. Benoit gets two more German suplexes in, followed by more vicious chops. Hunter then whips Benoit's sternum first to the post to slow him down. Benoit looks for a sharpshooter. Hunter wants a pedigree. Benoit then reverses it into a crossface into a weird sequence of reversals. Flair tries to distract Earl Hebner but fails. Benoit tries to roll the crossface over into the middle of the ring, but Hunter, he's Superman this year, not last year. He breaks it. Another German to Hunter. Then Hunter blocks another German attempt, tries a pedigree, which gets countered into a sharpshooter. Flair gets tossed for trying to sneak the belt to Hunter to use as a weapon. He distracts Earl long enough for Hunter to land a low blow. Benoit gets a pedigree, and will Benoit kick out? No, of course not. One, two, three. Hunter wins. Bullshit. Uh, Benoit did way more damage to Hunter. Hunter was basically just a passenger in this match. And uh, But that's Hunter Hearst Helmsley in the mid-2000s. So there you go. What did you think of Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Chris Benoit? This is your second match of the night. I think they both tied equally. Uh, I enjoyed this one as well. I thought that it brought a lot of good athleticism to main card as a whole and should have been the main event. Yes, it definitely should have been the main event. Time for the SmackDown rebound where John Cena lost the U.S. belt to Orlando Jordan on SmackDown. Oh, my goodness. The spinner belt. And... JBL's cabinet blows up the spinner belt in a garbage can like Medusa did in WCW. And they introduced the U.S. title, which would stay in circulation until 2020. The recently retired, another connection to 2020. That U.S. belt was retired for that hideous one that MVP unveiled a few weeks ago. So, uh, yeah. Weird connection to 2020 here, too. John Cena would be fine. He would get a spinner version of the WWE title, so everything would be fine for him. Cena, and then at the end of that SmackDown, Cena saved Eddie from a beatdown by JBL's cabinet, so he's the hero. Even even Eddie Guerrero. Both guys from last year's WrestleMania look like shit. So you have Benoit, he just gets beat, and then you have Eddie... He needs help from John Cena. So your two winners from last year, they're not shit this year. So that's the lesson from WrestleMania 20 to 21. JR and Lawler run down the 21 card, and it looks acceptable. Muhammad Hassan and Davari are here. He goes for some cheap heat over the NCAA championship. He's pissed that he's not at WrestleMania, and then he leaves. Uh, Apparently there was, I guess, Georgia Tech they lost or something i don't know who is insulting here i forgot so lita and christy hemi are still training in the back and lita runs into her old flames gene snitsky he promises to finish what he started and i'm not sure what that means is he gonna kill another baby is he gonna punt another baby we don't know wwe rewind shows us that hunter tried to smash batista with the sledgehammer but batista broke it which i guess hunter filed away and said, if I ever fight Sting, I know I can break the sledgehammer in half and use it as a weapon. Batista is out to his old entrance, so uh, not the one with lyrics, but the instrumental. And so he doesn't do his machine gun arms, which is really weird. Snitsky is out to face him. Hunter and Flair come out to watch. 
Power slam to Snitsky. Snitsky works over Batista's leg, big boots him. Pump handle slam to the animal for a two count. Batista hits some clotheslines and a spine buster. Batista wants a Batista bomb, but Flair chop blocks him. So Flair and Snitsky put the boots to him. So the match is called off. Batista flings him off. Kane runs down to battle Snitsky off. Flair gets a spine buster and Hunter, he just leaves. He's tired of this shit. He's ready to go home. Kane chokeslams Snitsky for good measure. Batista finally lands the Batista bomb uh, to Snitsky. So Triple H comes back out and says, hey, Batista, next week I got a real big challenge for you. And Batista looks at him and I'm thinking, oh, man, if, if Batista gave him Benoit this week, Hunter must have like Eddie for him next week or Undertaker or Shawn Michaels. I don't know who he's got for him. Well, your challenger is standing right behind you, which is actually beside him. So that was really stupid of Hunter to say. And it's Kane next week. Tune in, everybody. That's your hook for next week. Batista and Kane. And then we fade out. That's literally what you have to watch for next week is Batista and Glenn Jacobs. I'll pass, but thank you anyway. <laughs> uh, this match sucked. Uh, obviously, it ended in a in a DQ fuck finish. It was just for Hunter to name his opponent. But honestly, this could have gone on before Hunter's match. Hunter could have won his match. And then called Batista out and still named his opponent. Why his opponent had to be King, I don't know. I guess you had to keep Sean strong for Angle. And you couldn't name anyone off SmackDown. I, I, you know what? I, if I was Triple H, I'd just say, hey, you could have Benoit next week. How about that, buddy? But you, then you don't want to make Batista look like shit, too. Because he's going to win at WrestleMania. So you got to have Kane. I give, him, give him Marty. <laughs> I've got a surprise for you. You're gonna face Jake the Snake Roberts. There you go. Uh so yeah, what did you think of this main event? Uh very weak. Very weak. Snitsky, it wasn't your fault. It was just very weak all the way around. I it's not a good pairing, number one. Number two, it just didn't work as it needed to, and I just it was a letdown. So what did you think of this episode of Raw overall? Oh, very well done. Very well done. I enjoyed the uh, bringing out Jake the Snake Roberts because that kind of gave a little nod to uh, The Undertaker and WrestleMania and all that. I think that was pretty cool. Uh, I enjoyed then doing the flashbacks of people that are going to be going in the hall of fame with like Piper and Hogan. I enjoyed the, I loved seeing Marty back in the rockers, uh, Benoit and triple H. I still, again, think that was probably, you know, one of the best matches of all time. Uh, not tonight's, you know, not, this Rawls match, but just as a whole, that rivalry that they had even, you know, right after WrestleMania, I thought was just really well. And uh, like I said, it just kind of ended. It just didn't, the main event didn't deliver the way the show had built its way up. It was building and building and building and building. And it's like, holy shit, this is, this is going to be the perfect Raw. 
uh, you know, in so many years, and then it just fell off a damn cliff. And so, you know. No, I think it had a lot for everybody. I think it had a lot for uh, older fans that remembered Jake the Snake and Marty. So you have the nostalgia there. You have Marty competing, looking halfway decent in his match, uh, and still furthering the Sean feud. So you're with Angle. Uh, so you're still building something there. You're you're also building towards SmackDown, so you're giving people an incentive to watch there. It's a two-hour show instead of a three-hour show, which I think, man, if this had had an extra hour, it would have been even worse than the <laughs> Snitsky and Batista would have been on the least of our problems. But yeah, like you said, I thought it was a very good episode of Raw, really easy watch until that main event. Uh, that main event stunk. Batista... Not a very good wrestler. Uh, he got a little bit better. I'm not going to totally say that he never improved, but even up until his final match, you know, two years ago with Hunter, it's he's just not really that great. It's a I'll, he's. I'll say it if you want. I'll say it. Oh, he I know you don't like Batista. He never improved. He's got a great look, and he's a very talented actor. He's funny. He's got all the personality when they when they let him speak uh, in the WWE. But like outside of the WWE, he's shown all this personality and all this. I mean, he had some good stuff in the WWE when he was a whiny bitch and he quit and he wore the pink shirt and he quit uh, that that last run in uh, at WrestleMania 30. Where I mean, he he's a great heel and. Uh, he has a lot of that, but man, like the in-ring stuff, just it's very basic. He's he's a he's a very upgraded Kevin Nash as far as he's got everything <laughs> else, but in, in the in-ring just is where it stops. And uh, but he's way better than Kevin Nash in the ring, so he's definitely an upgrade. So on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where does the Raw from March fourteenth, two thousand five, fall on, on our rating scale? You can go first. Uh, man, dude, I'm gonna give it a. Uh, I'm gonna give it an Andre. It's pretty high up there. It would wow. have been perfect show. I feel like it would have been a perfect show without the main event. I'm gonna give it a Gene Snitsky, a very a very tall guy, but a guy that had a few uh, issues, and uh, the fact that this show. Sucked in the main event wasn't his fault. You're right, and uh, there were some other things on the show that wasn't wasn't anybody's fault. It was just not good segments. Like I didn't care much for the stuff with Christy Hemi's training, with Lita being her mentor, and I didn't I didn't care much for the Trish interview. Trish as a heel doesn't really work. Lead as a heel doesn't. I mean, I think I just don't think either of those two characters in 2005 can be. I don't think Trish can be a bad guy in 2005. My pick for this week, and I will pick an episode of WCW Monday Nitro from 1999. This is the April 26th edition of of Nitro from 1999. This features not one Patrick, but two title matches. Involving Sting and WCW champion Diamond Dallas Page in uh, one of the few raw few raws in one of the few nitros from 1999 that actually had 
two very good matches on it. And this is from April, so this is before Russo. And this is from the Fargo Dome. Some very interesting stuff on this show as well. You get to see Big Papa Pump and Randy Savage. You get to see uh, Eric Watts take on Bam Bam Bigelow. So, uh, man, you're going to really want to tune into this one. So, the April 26th edition of 1999's Monday Nitro. Because, uh, man, I'm sorry if this is a three-hour show. I, I think it is, because uh, it's from 99. But it's got two good matches. The, the two Sting and DDP matches are really good. And I just wanted to watch it. Uh, so I'm definitely game. I'm definitely game. Yeah, and that'll be what we do the next time we get together, whenever that is. Who knows? It always depends. But uh, the last episode I got out in record time, and then the last two episodes, so we taped one episode on a Wednesday and then recorded one on, like, a Saturday. And so I had two episodes out in basically a span of five days. So that was pretty impressive. And then we took a little break, and now who knows when. But uh, when we get together, we'll uh, have a great time all the time. Patrick, where can they find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at Ref Patrick Young on Facebook, Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling, whichever one. Uh, you can find me popped up right there. I'm always available to talk to any and all fans. Uh, message our Facebook page at Retro Wrestling Podcast or message me personally. I will love I would love to talk wrestling with you. I would love to uh, share some memories. I would love to answer any questions. And if it is something that I don't have an answer to, I will get it for you. I will find out. Yeah, and you can follow us at Retro W Podcast on Twitter or at the Retro Wrestling Podcast Facebook page. And you can go to powerslam.tv and use the promo code Retro Wrestling for a month for free. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I am the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline is a clothesline. And bingo, bingo.